This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 153. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the show. I'm really excited you're here. Today in the show, I have Paul Nagaoka. And what's fascinating about him is for a time, he was a celebrity in Asia. He was actually, he was an actor. He was a, a celebrity. He was a model, in fact. And it was something he wanted to try. He also wanted to travel more. And him and his wife wanted to travel. And it was all enabled by real estate. And he wanted took a break for three to four months and it ended up being a two and a half year stint. And it was just a fascinating story, all enabled by real estate. But what was interesting about that is he wanted to be really clear about what he wanted to do in, in his life. And at the same time, he was burning out in his real estate business because he was doing a bunch of things wrong, things he didn't enjoy doing. And he came to the conclusion that he wanted to stop that, but he wanted to leverage the real estate he had built to basically pay his way while he's traveling in Asia. Fascinating story. And now he's back syndicating deals, but he's doing it in a, in a different way. So fascinating journey. And and it's a really, really cool interview about uh, living an intentional life. Before we get into the interview, I just want to give you a heads up. I'm, I'm kind of leaking this out a little bit right now, but our, our next live event is scheduled. It's Steelmaker Live. Put this down your calendar, July 25th the 27th. It's actually two full days, 26 and 27 with a reception on the 25th going to be in Dallas, Texas. All right. So tickets are at themichaelblank.com forward slash event. That's Dealmaker Live. That's all I'll say about it right now. Really excited. I have already have a bunch of speakers whose names are recognized are already confirmed and coming. So I'll, maybe I'll tell you a little bit more about those guys next time. Really excited about it. Uh, we have some early bird pricing right now. And so tickets are going up all the way out to $1,300. So you can get them now for uh, much less than that. So go over to michaelblank.com forward slash event and uh, grab yours right now. Really excited about that. It'll be the biggest event that we'll have uh, so far. It's going to be in Dallas, easy to get to from anywhere in the country. So check that out. So let's start without any further ado. Let's get into the interview with Paul Nagaoka. Here we go. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael, how you doing? <laughs> Very good. I see you're relaxing in your air chair there or whatever that is. So yeah. that's perfect. Speaking of relaxing, you did, I don't know if you did a lot of relaxing, but Tell us a little bit about your life in Asia. You were like a rock star or something, a supermodel. I don't know. What what were you doing over there? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I took a two and a half years out at a real estate and I went to Asia and ended up getting into modeling. It was really fun. I had a great experience. Did pretty well at it, actually. I was nominated the top fashion model in the continent of Asia in 2016. Uh, and then I got into acting and TV show hosting. Uh, so yeah, it was really cool. I booked nine different TV shows. I was on the number one drama in, uh, the English channel in Singapore. I did a HBO original, hosted a reality TV show for Fox and got to kind of be a actor and celebrity in Southeast Asia. <laughs> that is, is, that's pretty cool. How did that, I mean, did, did you just go over there just for like a vacation or what was your idea when you said, okay, I'm gonna take a break. Uh, were you planning on doing all this stuff or what was your idea when you got started? No. So, uh, to be honest, Michael, I was getting a bit tired of real estate and the different parts of real estate that I was doing and the way that I was doing it. And I wanted to take a break from that and just find out if I have different passions and kind of pursue other types of things. And my wife and I always had this dream of getting to go travel the world and go experience different cultures. Uh, and this trip was supposed to be a three to six month trip. Two and a half years later, we ended up coming home. So it, uh, it kind of got extended and we, yeah, it was just incredible, man. Like, 
you know, not going to lie. It was just awesome. I traveled all over the region. And because I was a celebrity, I got to do all this cool stuff for free. You know, we stayed at hotels in the Maldives and in, you know, in Cambodia and in Thailand and in Bali and all over, uh, all over the region. And, you know, got invited to actually kind of this kind of funny story. But so right before I ended up moving back to the United States, I went from three days before getting on airplane going to um, the Asia TV Awards, which is broadcasted in front of half a billion people. And two of my TV shows were nominated. Uh, and I was in the VIP section with the actors, and the day after party, and I had 40 fans waiting outside the door for me. And so I go out, they're all screaming, and I want me to, you know, sign autographs. Three days later, I'm in the Midwest in <laughs> a small rural community, like just out in the middle of nowhere with nothing cool to do. And nobody knows who I am. And it was just like this crazy wild transition. So Man, it was just like a, it was epic. It was a really cool, cool experience. That's pretty cool, and and it was it was enabled by your real estate investments. Exactly. Yeah. No. So that gave me the opportunity to do it. I kind of, you know, quasi retired. Didn't necessarily need to make uh, more money. I had some cash flow from apartment complexes and some other properties I owned, and and um, just did it, man. Like took the step and and decided to do it. I actually had a four month old baby at the time, if you can believe it. I got on an airplane. 36 hours of traveling to, to Asia with a four-month-old baby and just, just did it. So, A life of adventure. It sounds like uh, you, you said you burned out a little bit. We don't, we don't hear a lot of that except for when you're flipping a lot of houses. We, we do hear quite a bit of that. Uh, but you had some cash flow properties. What, what was it that was burning you out? Uh, all right. Well, might be a good time to segue into kind of how I got into real estate a little bit. But you know, I, I started studying from when I was very young and got interested in it and really passionate about it. Uh, started investing or studying no money on real estate investing when I was 12 years old. And, you know, I was a different kid, you know, started investing in the stock market when I was eight and wanted to take Alan Greenspan's job as chairman of the Fed when I was six. You know, it's like, I was just mentally wired different and took the money I made out of college, started a business, put myself through college. And I, I took that money, started investing in real estate and started doing deals. I'd, I was a loan officer and real estate agent at the time and I'd put deals together and I did it for 14 years and grew it into a, a business where I had 35 employees and, and subs that were working for me. And I had a construction division in-house, property management division in-house, um, accounting division in-house, and a broker that was on staff helping me find deals. And I'd put these things together. But the problem was, Michael, was I was doing all of the different components of real estate myself. Um, and I was managing all the top-level elements of the business myself. And some of those things, I mean, uh, real estate's just too wide to be really talented at every single different area. And there's a lot of different types of skill sets that you do. And you need, you know, like accounting and managing an accounting department is a lot different than managing acquisition side and learning how to negotiate deals. Um, so I was doing things I wasn't liking, you know, I was haggling with municipalities over zoning issues and, and dealing with, you know, attorneys and doing the top level evictions that no one else could handle on my team. And just, uh, you know, I was just doing all the different parts that I didn't enjoy and all the parts I actually enjoy, you know, I wasn't. I was only spending, you know, a month or two a year doing that. So even though I was only working 20 hours a week and the money was fine, I just, just like life's too short to do something with your work that doesn't feel meaningful and, and isn't fun. So yeah, that's what kind of led to me taking a break from real estate. What did you realize that you liked doing or even loved doing? And what did you realize you really didn't like doing at all or we weren't good at? Um, yeah. So great question. So I, I think that's where that takes me now. So now I, I started again. I'm back in real estate. I'm doing syndications, taking people's money and investing in real estate deals together, putting my money in deals. And I'm doing it completely differently. I'm like actively, I'm not kidding. This is no, no BS here. I like actively really enjoy going to work. Like it's so much fun. I mean, it's not as fun as like, you know, flying to Okinawa and doing like, 
seven days of filming a TV show and, you know, that kind of thing. But it's super fun. Like I'm having a great time because I found the elements that I'm the best at in real estate and that I enjoy the most. And I'm basically laser focused on those. And I built a team around me now that I have a couple partners that can take care of some of the elements that I don't enjoy. And they're, they love it. They're like super good at it. So for me, I don't enjoy taking the deal from start to completion, managing all the different elements of the construction phase and the operation side. So my partner, Aaron, he loves that stuff. Like we did an apartment deal, 17 unit apartment deal together. Uh, well, I did it with his dad and, and he's kind of managing the different components. We get this 14 page report, Michael, I kid you not, 14 page summary statement, balance sheet, you know, how we did a year to day versus our budget. And then actual every single check and every single item that was spent on that deal. And, you know, I glance at the top page every month and I kind of comb through it a bit. He emails back. He's like, there's not enough detail in here. I need to, I really need to know what's going on with the air conditioning units. Like what happened with this line item on page 14? Da, 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 da. And so it's like guys like that, that really love that, you know, bringing that and recruiting that on my team and having to be talented enough that I can really trust them. So, you know, that the legal department and legal side, I have someone else managing that. So I get to do the part that I love, which is finding the deal you know, putting the different interesting components together and doing the negotiation and participating in raising the money. Yeah, you t you're a relationship guy and with it, probably a, a bit of marketing. It sounds like you enjoy that as well. Oh yeah, that's my jam. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a great partnership because you all the things you just mentioned you need in a successful partnership. You need all, you need the relationship guys, you need the marketing guys, but then you also need the detail-oriented guys. You need the Excel spreadsheet guys. You need all of them. And it's rare uh, when when everything is in, in one person, we see a lot of partnerships forming in a very similar way. One's a more relationship guy, the you know broker guy, money raising guy, and then there's a detail oriented guy. You know the one who's in the spreadsheets and the and the weeds. And if you don't have both of those covered, you're going to be in trouble, right? I mean, if if you weren't looking detailed reports or or doing detailed underwriting, you couldn't do the deals that you wanted to. Now you could probably do it from a competent skill level, but you would probably hate it every single minute of the day. Absolutely, yeah, you're totally right. And Michael, I think. You know, for me, I actually, I love the, the analyzing the deal on the front end. I mean, spreadsheets, I get lost in them. I have so much fun at it. But when it goes from that to practical and how do we, you know, the furnace in this unit isn't heating the second floor well enough and we need a larger blower to be like that. Kind of, oh, that just stuff just kills my soul. So, um, yeah. And I think the piece that I did this time that I didn't do last time. So, like, I, I really believed in Andrew Carnegie's vertical integration idea. So, like, you know, I had the construction crew in-house. I had 15 guys on my team. I ran myself and, you know, when I first started out, I was running wire into the houses so I could learn how wire gets run to a box and, and understand the different elements and then I had a good competent property management company and, and team there. But the thing is, now I have partners, so people that are so talented, you could never hire them, you know, people that, that are entrepreneurial and skillful in those ways and, and bringing that level caliber of person on my team, I can really trust and rely on that as opposed to before I would hire someone for forty or $60,000 a year. And I'd still really have to manage and look over the shoulder and make sure those different components are happening well. Well, now I have somebody that's my partner that's talented at those things and doesn't mind that part of the process. So it's, a, it's very similar. I mean, th that approach we found is to be most fruitful is, part is partnering your way to deals. The pro on that is you don't have any overhead. You're not paying them a salary. Uh, the other pro is that uh, the partner has the ability to grow their, their income as, as much as they want. The downside is you're giving up equity, right? You're giving up equity when you're paying forty something fifty thousand dollars. But I'm with you. I, I we've had I've had better results just focusing on growing the pie and then 
putting someone in the pie and they help me grow the pie as well, therefore growing their size of the pie as well. Though you're giving up more equity in the deal, you're getting a much better result. Is that what you're seeing yeah, as well? It, Michael, you hit it nail on the head. So it's not about what I feel is important in negotiating any real estate deal or just how you approach finance in general is it's not about necessarily what percentage of the pie you get, it's how big is that pie? You know, I'd rather have 20% of a really freaking big pie than 100% of a really small one. So that's, you know, when you're looking at how do I do volume? How do I uh, do the parts I love? And how do I, you know, kind of scale what I'm doing? You have to, you have to bring other people involved in that. You know, no man's an island. You have to have that support. And I think there's a little bit of a limiting belief by some people I see that. They're, they're just really concerned about giving up their equity. Uh, they're like, oh, I'm not giving up my equity. Oh, I'm giving up too much of equity. And and I think it holds them back because they're so focused on their, they're almost like they're trying to hold on to something uh, and, and, and it limits their ability to grow the pie. On the other hand, people that are more, I, I would say maybe more generous is maybe the one way to, to do it um, and really focusing on increasing the size of the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way, that's the way to grow the business and you do attract a different person. And they're going to work their butt off. And, and and if you if you divided their, you know, if you couldn't pay them, now, these are these are freak, you know, frequently they were highly compensated people before, and you couldn't pay them what they're worth. But if you give them equity, you allow them to work for equity, they will bust their butt, mm -hmm. and you're going to get a much better much better result. Yeah, but that's I mean, for me, it was definitely an aha moment. And any other um. Because you've done a bunch of shenanigans, kind of like like I have. So, what? <laughs> share share maybe one or two other aha moments that you've had uh, through your life. Uh, doing in real estate related stuff. Yeah, you know, in in general, right? Because I mean, to me, entrepreneurship and life they're really closely kind of related. Yeah, I, I think for me, I mean, so what you just talked about, and I'm not going to bury this point because you've already mentioned it, and you don't want to kick a dead horse here, but really having a scarcity mindset and a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset really changes your ability to perform. So I think, like you said, like having the idea of saying, hey, look, I want to create as much value as I can. There's more than enough opportunity. This is not my only chance to make money in this. You know, there's going to be a deal just as good as this that's going to come around the corner, even though I can nudge you out and get a little more equity. Just saying, look, there's, there's plenty of opportunity for everybody. If we work together, we can accomplish something greater than we can on our own. So like the name of my company is Syndicate. And I picked that because... That's what that means. It means people coming together to do something greater together than they can on their own. I would say some aha moments for me when doing real estate, you know, I think the one we already touched on that was actually one of the biggest ones for me was just realizing what is it that I love to do in my life? You know, life is, Michael, you're aware of this. You're doing stuff that sounds like you really love. You don't want to spend your life working at something that you don't enjoy. I mean, not every day and every moment are you going to love, but as a whole, you need to really put your life and energy and resources into something that makes you come alive, that blue flame of passion and, and where your talents meet. And it's worth finding and it's worth searching and it's worth taking the effort to try to do. And it's scary to take the risk and stepping out, but it's so worth it. Biggest regret I will ever have. And my biggest fear in life is looking back from my deathbed and saying, I wish I would have done something different. And so if you could start having those questions now and asking yourself those questions now, you know, if you're comfortable and you have your 401k and you have this job that's okay that you kind of like, but you wish there was more and you're dreaming about something bigger and wider and doing more for your family or the opportunity to travel or whatever it is for you, ask those questions and don't get to the end of your life, look back and go, man, I really wish I would have done it differently. Better to have that tough question now, take the leap and it's not going to hurt as bad as you think it's going to hurt. So I think asking questions is, is is critical, but I sometimes think that the problem isn't that people don't know what they should be doing. I think they know what they should be doing, 
but I think very few actually do something about it. Yeah. And extricating themselves out of their current environment is very challenging. Certainly quitting their job is challenging, but you extricate yourself out of what's arguably even more complicated than a job. You actually had a business and employees that were depending on you. Mm-hmm. How did you, and, 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 I, and I include your wife with that, right? Because your spouse has to be on board with the craziness. Yeah. <laughs> How were you able to extricate yourself? And I'm not saying the mechanics of it, but the mindset of it. Why did you and your, and your wife think that you could actually do this? Yeah. So exactly what you said. So it's about action, right? So you either, and the why just has to be big enough. Like you, you have to have a reason that is large enough to move you out of your state of homeostasis and comfort. And for me, we talked about traveling the world for 10 years before we ever did it. And we picked the worst possible time, a four month old kid in traveling the world. Michael, that is dumb. Like that is a really dumb move, but you just either kind of got to the point where it's either we got to kind of crap or get off the pot, you know, like we're either going to do it now or we're never going to do it. And so the reason was just big enough for me. And and what I was doing was just so not worth it that, you know, it it made me kind of rethink that and took the leap. And Michael, I got to tell you, it was scary. Like it was really, really Mm -hmm. scary. I, I had financial things that came up like with the process of leaving and moving that put me in a worse situation than I thought it was going to be. So I, and I, we still took the step and, you know, we had our, our, our expenses covered for the most part and a lot of other elements that made it a lot easier for us than it would be for most people. But still, it was really scary. But when you do it, you realize that that fear that you were, thing you were so afraid of is not that big. It's a big bar with mm. not a lot of teeth. And you're resilient, a lot more resilient than you think. And even if it doesn't work out exactly how you thought, you know, you'll figure it out and, and life works out. So, but yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you too, Michael. It's about action. So those people there, I have a saying for people that the people that drive me crazy, like the people that frustrate me the most, I call them natos. No action, talk only. Ugh, like that drives me bananas. So people that are say, hey, I want to do this in my life. I want to do it. You know, if you're watching right now or listening or whatever, like, and you're looking for that push or that impetus to actually go do the thing that you know is right for you to do. I'm telling you, man, do it. It is worth it. I'm on the other side of that and not looking back. Even if I would have failed, landed on my face and would have come back home with all my property somehow disappeared and the meteor hit them and there's a lapse in coverage on my insurance and I had to start over from zero. I have no regrets. And I think making the decision to do what's in my heart was worth every bit of that. Yeah. So you got you to gotta be intentional. But what if the time's not right? Timing's never right. I mean, really, honestly, like when is the timing right? Is it is the timing right when you have a four-month-old infant? No, it's not. Is the timing right when you don't have all your finances perfectly together? No, it's not. I mean, you prepare the best you can, but you just have to do it. You have to take the step at some point. You know, that's my perspective. Maybe, you know, there are probably some scenarios there. Maybe you're in $100,000 of credit card debt and you're swimming, you can barely figure it. Maybe it's not the right time to take a big step and try to do some, you know, life-changing scenario for you. But I'd say for the most people, like, you know, timing is never right. If you're waiting for perfect timing, you're just never going to get it. So, yeah. What's, uh, what are you really excited about right now? What's, what's next for you? Honestly, I'm really, I'm really, sounds funny that I'd say I left all this to go do something else because I wasn't liking real estate, but I'm excited about real estate, man. I'm loving it. I'm like, I'm crushing it. We're finding a lot of really awesome opportunities. We're looking at doing $30 million of real estate this year. If we accomplish that, that'll put us most likely at the fastest growing company in Kansas City in uh, 2019. Uh, we closed a hotel a month ago. We have another one under contract. I got a really cool commercial property that I have under contract right now with a really interesting tenant with co-working and shuffleboard concepts, some really fun stuff there. Got offers out on some multifamily deals. So just doing all that stuff, man. I'm, I'm like super jazzed about it. I love the hunt and kill component of it. And I love finding a really good opportunity and, and, and executing on it. And something on a, on a real estate level, I'd say like as a 
maybe a useful point to someone listening. Like, I think something that's really helped me succeed because right now, if you look at the climate of the real estate market, multifamily, just there is cap rates are horrible. There are really difficult to be able to find opportunities that really make sense. But how I've been successful at still finding good multifamily investment opportunities or other unique opportunities is really trying to figure out and find opportunity where other people missed it. So if something, you know, is not penciling, it's at a five cap, but you go look at it and you realize, wait a minute, I could run laundry, you know, into these closets that are here and then I could add $50 a unit, you know, to my revenue and it only costs me this much or, hey, they're underutilizing this component or this component of this deal. And then you can really find ways to add value and find that opportunity where other people don't see it. So in the last, last four or five deals that I've done, I've actually purchased things that didn't look like they made a lot of sense. But when you kind of bring that level of creativity to it, you can just, you can find um, really, really, really great deals. I mean, I don't buy a deal unless it's a nine and a half cap or better. So the stuff that I'm finding is amazing. And there's stuff that other people had plenty of time to look at. And I'm just seeing opportunity where other people didn't see it. Well, let's talk about that uh, because there's a, a growing frustration from a lot of people that it's, it's tougher to find deals. And like you said, what are some of the opportunities that people are missing that you're seeing, which allows you to pay such an asking price or possibly even higher, let's say, but you're seeing opportunity that uh, someone else is not, which allows you to pay asking or slightly higher. What are some of the things that uh, that you've been doing? All right. So if we just want to focus wholly on multifamily here, I mean, I'll give you a good example of a project that I'm working on right now. It's a smaller deal. It's property, decent location. It's a seller that lives in California. It's an off-market property. So that's one piece too, is if you can find as many off-market deals as you can, that's the way to go now. So I have enough time. The guy's motivated to sell and he just hasn't fixed up his properties in a while. He has two down units in it, but he's still asking a price that he can command in the market, even though there's, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done on it. But one piece that was interesting is part of the pro forma was a really, really large line item for doing the exterior work on the property. And I thought, I'm like, man, half a million dollars to do that much, t- you know, tuck pointing. I mean, I did a, a deal that was four times the size of this and I spent a quarter of that, you know, on, on the tuck pointing and fixing decks externally and repairing. So what I did is I got uh, some of my own team to go out there and check it out and some other contractors to, to double check the numbers. And it turns out I was right. So, you know, $400,000 of repair costs that we thought was part of that budget is not there. And which turns the deal from seven cap to nine and a half. And nine and a half is my floor, but multifamily, that's hard to find. So that's nice. Yeah. So that's that, that example, or give you another example. Um, you know, I do a lot of, I try to negotiate a lot of seller finance deals and, um, I had a fair bit of success at that so far. The deal I closed at the end of last year, it was a boutique hotel, bed and breakfast and really, really beautiful, expensive two to $400 a night to stay there. And it hit the market and I went and saw it right away. And uh, there were like 11 business cards of people that toured it in the first like, you know, three, four days. And so I asked the agent, Hey, I will make an offer if you allow me to sit down and talk with the seller. And like, oh, I'm just making an offer and make an offer. And like, well, no, give me a face-to-face with the, the, the seller and I will guarantee you I will leave there with, leave with an offer. And um, I've been very successful at helping make deals work like this. Anyway, talked her into doing that. So I sit down with the seller, kind of give him my credibility story, you know, 14 years of experience, bought 350 properties. Here's what here are deals I've done in the city. And so I sort of built that rapport with the guy and then was able to kind of see in that negotiation period, like what is it that he is really trying to get out of this deal and was able to move the pieces around so that I could actually get him what he's looking for, what's still getting what I want out of the deal. So um, I ended up paying $50,000 over asking price for the property, but I ran my numbers before, had my performa, um, you know, really tightly dialed in. I knew that that would still work for me and I was able to get him to carry back 92% of the financing. 
for five years at 5% interest. So yeah, it's nice. Yeah, so that's nice. $50,000. I mean, I saved that just in interest over the next five year period of time. So you kind of figure out what those moving pieces and for him, man, he wanted like, give me as much as I can possibly get, get someone competent, I can get it done. And I, and I want out of this thing. And after we got under contract, I think two weeks later, a similar property hit the market and it was listed for 60% more than I got under contract for even paying, you know, 50,000 more for it. So it's like really looking at something and not being afraid to break the mold of, oh, I paid more than I, he was even asking for because I was able to get it done. But when you know it's a deal and it makes sense on, in your performa, you go up to that limit and, and really figure out how to move the pieces around to be able to get that done. Yeah, I think it's very clever to request an in-person meeting with a broker, especially say, hey, I guarantee you I'll come, I'll come out there with a deal. That's nice. That's nice. That's a lot of confidence. The other question then people will have is, that's great, Paul, but how are you finding the off-market deals? Okay, so that is, uh, that's pure hustle. All right, so there's no, there's no shortcut to that, Michael, but a really good strategy that- Come on, come on, give me the, the quick I'll, I'll give, three I'll easy give, steps. I'll give you like the, the secret. The secret is simple and it's not fun and it absolutely freaking literally works. And if you want to- like get the highest return on time, like cash return on your time. This is the one activity you can do that is literally the most profitable opportunity that you can do in real estate, in my opinion. Okay. And it is cold call off market properties. Like literally just, just find the contact information. If you have, if you're a broker or, you know, a broker or whatever, they'll have a list of a lot of places and you can go on CoStar and you can actually get the contact information for these apartment complexes. You sit there and you, you do the, see, this is the thing. You, if you do the things that other people don't enjoy doing, you tend to benefit and you have reward from that. You get paid in proportion to size problems you solve. And so if you do something that's uncomfortable and solving a large problem, you know, you get rewarded according to it. So you know, we spend three to four hours a day cold calling off market properties and results come. I'm not kidding. I look at two, three, four apartment deals, apartment deals. So this is not even like talking, you know, other stuff that's easier to buy a week that I get to analyze and, and come through through doing that. And it's not fun and you get rejected and you just, as long as you're willing to deal with that, like there is crazy opportunity, even in the market like it is right now. I'm buying, I'm not kidding, I'm getting really good multifamily property when everybody else is looking for something and buying stuff at five caps. Yeah. Are you doing the calling or do you have someone do that for you? I have, I have team members that do the calling for me. <laughs> Aha! Now we get to this. I started out doing the calling though. So I was doing the cold calling and doing all that. Now, yeah. now, yeah, now, you, now you delegate it. That, that's right. And now you're getting the information out of CoStar. Are you getting that? Do you have direct access? Uh, are you getting it through a broker? And how are you compensating that broker, if so? So we are, uh, my partners in Syndicate own this company called Clemens Real Estate. It has all the different verticals of real estate. And they also have a brokerage. So uh, we are a brokerage. Well, Syndicate's not a brokerage, but my partners are brokerage and we office together. So it kind of feels like we're doing that together. And so we have access to CoStar and my partners are also brokers and the team members that I have on my team are brokers. So that's how we get access to CoStar and then access to really a wealth of information. So like, you know, Clemens Real Estate has been doing commercial real estate deals for 17 years as a brokerage in Kansas City. So the database they have is enormous. And so there are other brokers in markets that you're in, you know, where you can find a reputable local branch and you're going to get access to stuff that a lot of people won't have access to just by being part of a local brokerage that, you know, has the contact information of people that people are just too lazy and frankly, just don't want to put in the hard work to be able to pick up the phone and, and make those calls. Yeah. So I already hear the whining on uh, the, the, the viewers and the listeners. I don't have a partner who's a broker. Okay. How do I get myself access to these off-market deals through CoStar? What, what would you 
Throw out some ideas. Okay, yeah. Being the sure. entrepreneur you yeah, are. Absolutely. So, I mean, you don't need CoStar. Coast, all CoStar is is someone doing the research, a little bit of research and legwork for you. So, I mean, you know, the traditional way you do this is you, you, you find a property, you find addresses, you just go on Google Maps, you search out different apartment complex, tag them, get an address, and you can go in the proper tax records, which is all online now, by the way. You can find numbers, you can find email addresses, you can find contact information, and then you just kind of PI and private investigator, you kind of go find that information, either through online, through LinkedIn, through Facebook, all the different ways that you can do that to find that information. Um, and then even, you know, even better than that, like, you know, find an area, say, this is my map, this is my three mile by one mile radius, that this is the area I'm going to focus on for the next month. And then you tag, literally just tag every single one of the apartment complexes in that area and drive in and go take a look at them, talk to them and say, hey, look, I'm a, I'm a guy buying deals. I'd love to talk to the owner. Is there any way I can get in touch with them? What's the property management company that is managing this company? Oh, it's, you know, Celtic property management. Okay, great. Pick up the phone, call Celtic, say, hey, there's this project. I'm a serious buyer. You know, I'm looking at it. It seems really interesting. Will you put me in touch or send an email and connect me with the guy? Okay, great. I'll do that. You just build those relationships and, and you'll just start to notice that you'll, you'll start seeing more and more deals coming through, you know, your flow. And you just got to, you know, if you don't have CoStar or brokerage, you just got to do a little bit more, put in a little bit more effort, but you can still get the same results. For sure. Are you still using brokers or are you are completely doing stuff off market now? Uh, well, you know, I usually, since we have brokers on our team, you know, I use a lot of brokers. So they're doing a lot of the calls for me and reaching out. So often I'll use a broker. Um, and, you know, here's a secret that kind of a tip that I used. So I started off buying single families about 40 single family houses a year. And the deal that I, I kind of got known for and why I started getting all these opportunities where other people weren't is I would find these deals on the MLS myself uh, or some other place. I would call the listing broker and I'd say, hey, represent me and I want to buy the property. So I would buy the property with them. They make both sides of the commission. Now, if they get two or three offers in, you know, now they're not supposed to do this. But honestly, if you get two or three offers in, they're all about the same. One, you make double what you're going to make versus the other guy. Which one are you going to push to your seller? You're going to push the one you're making. Yeah. I wonder if you can outsource this so you can find a, a young a young commercial broker, right? And you have them do it. They have access to CoStar and you say, hey, I want you to call, I want you to call 20 people every single day and then uh, you know, they'll cover your commission. If they don't, I will. Yeah, absolutely. You got to be creative. But what, what you're saying, bottom line, is you got you to hustle to some degree and, and uh, there's, there's, uh, there's no shortcuts. Yeah, there's no shortcut to that, but it's, it doesn't take as long as you think. Like, you yeah. don't need to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week to be able to get this done and do three, four or five good multifamily projects a year. If you do the hard work, you spend three or four hours doing the cold calling in the, the, a day, and then you map out areas and you just strategically go through your city and do this, you're going to shake out four or five great deals, you know, a year that you can do. And, and uh, you know, I mean, unless you want to do $200 million of deals a year, it's not going to satisfy that. But if you want to do, you know, 15, 20, $30 million of transactions a year, and you can do it that way. What's your advice to someone who wants to kind of do what you want to do? They want to do whatever they want to do. They want to travel more or they want to pursue a particular passion. Uh, they're on the sidelines a little bit. What's your, what's your advice to, to someone like that? I would say, you know, A, you found the right place. Um, my opinion, I think real estate investing is the best place to build wealth long-term of any other opportunity in the planet. I mean, even if you just want to do small potatoes, retire early, do that. You can buy 10 single family houses, put them on 20-year notes, just pay them off, hand them to a property management company, and there you go. You know, stock market's not going to do that for you. Other opportunities that I've seen, you know, and this is my perspective. You might have a different perspective. That's fine. But you're not going to get that. But if you're sitting on the sidelines, I think, A, you found the right place. I think, B, you're educating yourself, which is so important. The biggest investment, you hear this said a lot, but it's really true. Like, investing in your knowledge base is 
one of the most important things that you can possibly do. And then really it comes down to getting your jersey dirty. You know, you just got to get out there and get started doing it. I would say that uh, if you're on the sidelines and you're sort of waiting for the opportunity to kind of come to you, you need to be proactive and you need to start looking at deals. Like set yourself a goal of something like, you know, I'm going to look at 10 deals a week, come hell or high water, even if they're bad. And I'm just going to go look at 10 deals every single week, you know, where you're analyzing, putting it through your performance until you find it. Say, I'm going to make three offers a month. And that's what that's going to happen no matter what, if you're getting started, if you're in it and you're doing it, they make a lot more than three offers a month, but do that, like take some serious action. I mean, it doesn't cost you anything to do that. So take those steps and you're going to be surprised by the results. I mean, it's, this is an incredible industry. There's a reason why there's podcasts like this that exist. There's reasons why there's all this kind of education because it's made more millionaires than any other industry in the history of the world. So you're in the right spot and just go out there and do it. Paul, how do people connect with you? The best way to connect with me is if you're an accredited investor and you're looking to invest in deals and you want to do it with me or want to start exploring that, you can go to my website. It's syndicatekansascity.com, all spelled out. Uh, information at the below, just put your information in there and we'll get in touch with you. That's one. Two is if you just want to learn about real estate and you want to get more of like the brass tax, really, really practical advice uh, related to cap rates and just all the information that I learned over the last 14 years doing real estate full-time, I'm starting a website called howtoinvestinrealestate.net, just spell it all out, .net. Uh, and I'll start posting videos and, and content there. You know, there's great stuff like Michael's out there, but mine is just about all the stuff that I learned over the last 14 years. That's fantastic. So that'll be in the show notes as well at the michaelblunt.com forward slash session 153. So check out uh, Paul's, Paul's website. And uh, it looks like you're putting out some really cool content. So thank you for that. And thank you, by the way, for coming on the show. Uh, you have a great story. It will inspire thousands. So thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, man. Was that good or what? Got me two key lessons here. One is you got to be intentional in life. Intention really requires that you reflect on yourself and your surroundings. What do you love to do? What don't you love to do? What really gets you lit up? And in, in the case of Paul's case, he and his wife really wanted to travel more. And that's really what, what started it. It was kind of the carrot and the stick a little bit almost. It was like, I really want to do this and I really don't enjoy doing that. Right? And if you're in a place like that, you have a giant gap between what you're doing right now and what you want to do. If, that, if that's you right now, then, then I, I encourage you to really listen to that. Okay? Really listen to that and be intentional about that. And I think a lot of you, like I said on the show, know what that is. You know what you don't like and you know the life you want to live, but you're not doing it. What are you doing about that? I mean, really think about that, right? I mean, if you had another week to live or, or let's say six months, whatever, right? If you knew that your time on this earth is limited, would you continue living the life you do now? And if the answer is no, why aren't you doing something about it? Really think about that. And I, I really respect Paul for doing that. And like he said, the time is never right. It's never right. The finances aren't right. You know, you're married. You're not married. You have a kid. You don't have a kid. You're retirement. You have, you have a house. You have a mortgage. You have a business. Time is actually never right. Never. Okay. And people who, who are waiting for that are going to wait forever for that. So that's number one is really be intentional in life. That's very important. And the second one is, and I love this, is more tactical on the multifamily front is, is you got to hustle. And I love the way that Paul is finding off-market deals. And, you know, he started it all doing it himself. He doesn't love doing it. Who really loves cold calling? No one loves that. In the beginning, you're bootstrapping stuff, okay? You don't have maybe the income that you can hire somebody. And also, you want to figure out what, what's the process? What's the script? How do you do it? So you got to do it yourself and then outsource it later on. That's kind of where he is right now. And I love that. 
And there's other ways you can get uh, you can get uh, information. You can also go to listsource.com. Listsource.com uh, on uh, two weeks ago, uh, Corey Botrod and Sean Terry, two huge wholesalers, talked about how they buy lists from Listsource and then skip trace the owners of that and then do the same thing. They'll send them, they'll mail them stuff, and they'll call them. So it's it's something that you should definitely put into your into your toolbox. And and Paul really made it clear that if you're prepared to hustle, you will do deals. And I can just say from the deals that we get in from the deal desk, it's certainly people are definitely doing deals. And what the thing that they all have in common, they're all hustling. They're not making a couple offers and then are wondering why the deals aren't coming to them. They're, they're making stuff happen. They're networking. They're calling with brokers. They're visiting with brokers. They're finding off-market deals. So you got to have hustle. And that's what that's what Paul has. And it's great that he was able to share some of those tactics. So definitely check out Paul's website as well. Um, also, we're also always looking for accredited and non-accredited investors. And if you're interested in finding out more about opportunities, then go to the michaelblanc.com forward slash invest and fill out the uh, the form. Uh, and our company is called Nighthawk Equity. Fill out the form there. And so we get to know you a little bit more and we'll schedule a call with you. And uh, and then you'll be able to check out some of our investment opportunities. We have, we have several of them right now. So we'd love to talk to you if you're interested in investing with us. All right, guys, that's it for today. Oh, before you go, make sure you uh, check out DealMaker Live. That's at the michaelblanc.com forward slash event. That's July 25 to 27 in Dallas. Look forward to seeing you guys there and catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.